0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 94, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything and everything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, we're going to go straight in with uh, some interesting stuff. But first of all, though, we've had a subscriber comment that I uh, I want to quickly mention. So Tobias Jones has commented on one of our videos, and what he said was, is that he really loves the interviews, but... He really liked seeing us in action um a few episodes ago when we were doing the property shoot.
1: I do believe we were sat down in the car for most of that though. That's right. Yeah, and then we did, <laughs> and then we did some behind the scenes um, it's true. It's on the true. actual on
0: the actual shoot. Um so Tobias, that is something that we're planning on um expanding this year. That's our plan for twenty twenty two, is to actually create more behind the scenes um content mm-hmm. um for all of you. You know, if you're if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, let us know. Um if you enjoy that. So um that's really the plan. So there's a number of things coming up yeah, um on. this year that should be of interest, yeah.
1: hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and we may even do a little BTS for the follow-up to that same job we were on. Yes, correct. Um in the episode that uh, he was talking
0: about there. Yeah. So more to come. Um with that, you know, keep your eyes peeled and keep listening because um well that is definitely, definitely happening. Um there's another thing. I want to talk about, because I got some questions about the flambient technique that was mentioned in the same, um, in the same episode. It's not a real word. (laughs) It's actually a real word. Uh. So flambient is really a blend um, of an ambient shot with a flash shot. Hence flambient. You made it up. It's the actual thing. And I'll I'll just explain uh, briefly how that works and why you would want to do that. So (laughs) the
1: thing about, in particular... um, Is it not just an ambient shot done with a bit of pizzazz?
0: (laughs) No, it basically, you know, it addresses um, one one basic problem. You know, for anybody who's ever um, taken, you know, photos of of an interior of a building, like whether it's in your apartment or in a house or whatever, you know, the problem that you always have is... um, is that when you expose for the interior of the room, your windows are going to be blown out. And when you expose for the the windows, the interior is going to appear dark. So th- the problem that we have is, is that, th- that our eyes have a much wider dynamic range compared to cameras. And although dynamic range you know, is increasing in cameras, and um, you know, has been ever since the invention of cameras, I guess, in the first place, but um, still... Cameras really, in general, are, are no in, by no means capable of of uh, really, you know, depicting that wide uh, dynamic range between you know the the lit interior and then the very bright exterior. So, so the the thing is, when you are creating imagery of an interior of a room, for instance, you know, um, then you need to balance these two elements, and so as a you know as a result, you really need to. Um, combine an exterior exposure, so a window shot, and I explain how, mm-hmm. how that's done in a minute, and an interior shot. And So the way to do that really is um, to combine really three images. So the Flambian technique really involves actually three images. So we've got um, a regular ambient shot where you expose for the interior of the room and you take a picture. And what it does is it gives you some color and it's, you know, it gives you the interior of the room as it as it may appear. And the problem though is that your your shadows can often appear really very dark mm-hmm. and so what you do is you take a flash shot um, which is your second image which basically means you use a flash and um, you essentially bounce it off of the ceiling so you get really widespread and relatively soft shadows and you expose for for that flash shot um, and then the third shot is where you essentially expose for the window right and then you fire a flash at the window whilst your exposure is set for the exterior. And what that does is it basically gives you well exposed windows and slightly overexposed windows around like window frames. And the reason why I do that is because actually when you blend it all together in Photoshop later on, it makes it much easier to blend those those
1: images. So what point would you use the ambient shot versus the interior flash shot? Okay. good. Excellent question, actually. Well, well, thank you very much. Wow.
0: <laughs> so, what you really do is, um, what you really want is you want the overall um, exposure of the flash shot with the color of the ambient shot. And so, what you do is you blend these two shots in Photoshop. So, for example, so what you actually do is, I'll just explain it very quickly. If anybody is interested in um, us creating an actual tutorial, um, a Photoshop tutorial, then please let us know. I'll I'm, I'm gladly do that. But in a nutshell, you've got these, these three layers. You've got the ambient layer, you've got the flash layer and you've got the, the window mm-hmm. layer. So the first thing you want to do is, um, you know, take the, um, take the ambient layer and basically change that to um, a luminosity blending mm-hmm. mode. And, uh, and then you want to basically dial that in at about 50% opacity. So what that does is it basically, it means you're basing it on the original flash shot um, but then you bring in the color and the sort of contrast from the mm-hmm. from the ambient shot, mm-hmm. which works really well. It basically just means, you know, you get the best of the ambient and the best of the flash shot, which basically means you get a little bit more um, light mm-hmm. in the shadows and stuff like that. Um, and it, it gives you a really balanced shot. So typically what I tend to do is I tend to bring that um, ambient shot in at about 40, 50 percent opacity somewhere. Around. I just, just have to kind of gauge that a little bit. And See what looks good and then um for the window shot you essentially uh change that to darken mode you put it on the top and um and you then create a, a black mask and then you just simply um brush in the window area and typically if you've done it right um, you won't have any major spill on the window frame so it's literally you're just bringing in the exterior and it works so why does well the
1: well. why does the overexposed window frames if you like why, why does that work because right. with them being overexposed okay
0: and that is because um, you've, you've set that layer to darker mode and what that actually mm-hmm. does is it only brings in anything that's darker than what is in the underlying layer mm-hmm. so essentially um, you know by doing that uh, by overexposing the window frame in a sense um, you're preventing that from being revealed in that layer. And so uh, you immediately have a much better blend. I mean, you, you know, if for whatever reason that didn't work out, and sometimes it doesn't, it depends on the color of the, the window frame sometimes sure. and, um, on a number of other um, aspects. What we found very often with property uh, properties is depending on the angle of the windows and everything else, sometimes it's actually difficult to to make the, uh, the strobe not show in the reflection of the window and so sometimes you then have to come oh, in yeah. relatively low right <laughs> and then you know but you can you can still mask the window frame out i mean it's still you can yeah. still do it it's easily done but it's just more work so by using that little trick using darken mode um it just means the whole thing is
1: quicker That's and is. just so everybody's clear when when you're saying over you know overexpose those window frames do you mean just a Higher, more exposed than the window itself, yeah. or blown
0: out. It can be blown out, it doesn't really matter. Okay. I mean, to be honest, I mean, as long as you know, as long as you get a really good exposure of the exterior, mm-hmm. and um, you know, then then you're fine. And you and you have no you want to try and avoid getting a reflection of the strobe in the window, obviously. Yeah. You know, if you can avoid that, then that's um, I mean, sometimes you can fix things afterwards, but by and large, you want to try and avoid that, and you can avoid that by changing the angle. Um, of the flash, for example, or sometimes we, we found uh, it makes, makes it much easier when you bring the, uh, the flash in low, very often, mm-hmm. that, particularly with the kind of windows that we were shooting at did work quite well. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's unavoidable, and then you just have to Photoshop your way out of it.
1: And the other thing that we had to do quite a lot is just be conscious of what's in front of those windows as well, right? Yes. Um, to make sure that, frankly, that post is as easy as it can be
0: right <laughs> yeah i mean the thing the thing with with all of that is you know it's all well and good when you're editing one photo like then you can spend time with it but when you're um with you know when you've got hundreds of shots that need to go through post-production then mm-hmm. then all of these things matter because if you save you know a minute on one image for example that's all of a sudden like two hours that you saved across the whole mm. you know the, the whole job sort of thing so so that all that stuff's is, is important there's another um, technique that's often uh, talked about when it comes to uh, especially interior uh property photography and, and exteriors i guess and that's the hDR technique mm-hmm. um it's a high dynamic range basically that's um that's, that's a different technique it works differently and it's um that was all the rage a few years ago um well, on this particular job actually it was an interesting thing because I thought it'd be a good idea to run a comparison and so I actually shot both for virtually almost every shot. Mm-hmm. Um and and then because I wanted to compare in post um what w- work better f- for my I don't know, you know, for my stylistic High. eye basically, you know. And I found that virtually whenever there's a window in the shot, um the HDR technique didn't work for me at all. Interesting. And for two reasons. One is actually um, the, the exposure on the window wasn't great. It's virtually almost always overexposed still. And mm-hmm. secondly, especially when it's a sunny day. Um, and secondly, I didn't like the, uh, the way that the light renders um, because the, the difference between the color temperature on the interior and the, and the color temperature of the light coming in through the window, there's way too much of a difference there. Mm. Um, and that really had an impact. And I just didn't like the way these these images were coming together. But When when I compared the two shots, one using HDR and one using the you know, Flambian technique, the Flambian technique every single
1: time won by a countryman. Would you say that had you only have done HDR that day or those days, that actually it still would have been perfectly... Acceptable. And I usable? don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, some really? some
0: shots, yeah, some shots are really. You know, I looked at them and I'm like, I wouldn't want to deliver that. You know, um, that's that's the truth of it. Mm. The whole thing changes. So when there are no windows in the frame, so some of the offices, for instance, that we shot that were that really didn't have any natural lights so or no windows, um, the uh, you know HDR worked perfectly fine. Mm. Um, absolutely no problem. So and of course. Again, from a post-production point of view, HDR is actually quicker than, than using the Flambian technique. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, um, and again, just as a super quick explanation, HDR um, basically works by you essentially it's essentially a bracketing technique where you, where you take a shot um, at, its, at its actual exposure, and then you take a shot, um, a stop under and a stop over, or you could take five shots, for instance, you know, one two stops under, one stop under, actual exposure, one stop over and two stops over, or you can set, you can set that mean um, your camera, whichever, whichever you want. Um, and um, and then you combine those images in posts. And Lightroom, as well as Photoshop, uh, have a function, a photo merge function that yeah. merges the HDRs automatically. Um, it works really well, as far as that's concerned. But it's a particular look. And you know, it's one of these um, hyper-real yeah, looks that yeah. was really you know, some time ago. But I think we've sort of moved away from that. And what I would say is um, the Flambean technique, really, the results look much more natural, much, much, much more natural and more pleasing or, you know, um, just as detailed um, as HDR, but they actually look real. Yeah. Whilst HDR always looks a bit sort of, oh, you, you see, I mean, it's, it's something you, you can detect immediately when you see it. Sure.
1: Absolutely. HDR image. So, so it's a good move doing both on the day then. It's yeah, nice no, to be able to compare from exactly the same starting point. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. And, you know, across
0: across all sorts of different scenarios, that was the other thing, you know, we had, because we shot all sorts of different um, rooms in different buildings, you know, different colored walls, different scenarios with lots of windows, some windows, one window, no windows. You know, some of them um, were sort of kitchen areas. Um, that yeah. Had different colors and different lighting. So there's a whole range of, of different scenarios. And you're being able... To actually look at the images in post and, and you know, compare both those techniques yeah. has been really really useful
1: that was interesting wasn't it you can't underestimate at all how dark an office actually is <laughs> yeah. everywhere yeah absolutely. almost without exception yeah. it's really really dark it's just uh, oh it goes back to your eyes again your ability to just adjust and to be yeah. there is so far far superior than the camera and you're looking at my God, what is that? The color of lights, shocking. And actually, you yeah. just mentioned the walls there, and I had a t- I had a lot of trouble mm. with some of the wall colors in yeah. there, and it took a lot of manipulation of the light to try and get it in a way that just made the light even, yeah. rather than getting that weird color cast coming through into the room. Yeah, exactly. It's very strange. Sit <clears throat> with some of those gray walls and. Yeah. Oh real pain there's a
0: there was a couple of really interesting shots as well there was one particular scenario where we simulated sunlight um in the reception area and i haven't a, seen that yet did that
1: i think it came out yeah
0: pay off yeah, yeah absolutely um so in that particular shot the it was an area it was like a reception area there was there's a couch and some seating um and it, you know, it looked it looked like a nice area with some artwork mm-hmm. on the wall and when we first arrived um there was some sun Coming straight through that window, and it really cast like really nice sunbeams across the floor and everything. And I kind of thought, oh man, that'd be great to photograph that like like that. Um, but then, of course, once we were ready and we got back, all of that had changed. So mm-hmm. the sun had moved on to a different place, and um, you know, our home planet had revolved and moved around. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, in in a way that didn't necessarily. You know, we didn't end up with, with great light there. So we had to light it. And so we eventually, I decided to sort of replicate um, the original situation. So, you know, you were outside and we were firing um, a flash through the window into the mm-hmm. into that space um, just to create an extra frame where we could simulate these these light beams. And that actually did pay off
1: in the end, yeah. Mm, good. Well, so, time, then. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it just goes to show, you can kind of make something... I forgot to tell you tell you we had a bit of an audience across the road for oh, did that you? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was quite amusing. Yeah. I had no idea what we were doing. Very yeah. funny.
0: So uh there was you with a boom and mm. and a, a strobe out on the street. <laughs> Very odd. <laughs> so yeah, I you know, like I said, that paid off. That's good news. Um so it's an interesting thing, you know, if you're into um you know photographing properties or um just you know just want to get acquainted with the flambient technique, then, you know, let us know. And we can, um, yeah, like I said, I happily put a tutorial together if that's something anybody's interested in. Just let us know. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so that was, um, that was quite cool. There's also, oh, you know, another thing I learned is we were really careful in, um, you know, using a remote to trigger the, the shutter, for example, mm. right? Because I know that, you know, any any micro-movement on the camera can basically cause problems later on. And so, you know, when you use your finger to press the shutter button, for instance, you're ever so slightly vibrating the camera, and that has an effect. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're using a a remote for all of the shots that we took, and still, in post, you would not believe what the differences still were. Really? Yeah. And that's, of Uh course, just the shutter mechanism, actually, moving the camera ever so slightly.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: because there were no other variables in that. Yeah. You um and
1: wouldn't wouldn't have that trouble these days normally though, and, would you?
0: And yet, you know, when you auto align those images and you can see how once it's aligned, you can see how, how
1: different. A few mil off that side, female off down there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. So um
0: yeah. you know, so that's and of course that really is is something you have to do with any of these techniques. You have to uh, really align um your layers. Once mm. you get it in Photoshop, again, super easy. There's an auto-align function. And yeah. That's a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Um, So, yeah. And then, you know, to, to speed things up even more, I just created some actions Um, for that. That basically now means that, you know, with the click of a button, all my layers are ordered Shazam. correctly, and masks are created, and, you know, blend modes are set up, and shabang. Mm-hmm. Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. Shazam. It's all about, all about, being efficient,
1: I learned a uh something new uh this last week when we we're doing that. I uh, since moving to DaVinci, DaVinci has an inbuilt um uh, so let me let me say one step back. So I always use the um X rite uh video passport color checker, yeah. Okay, um, so for those of you who don't perhaps don't know what one of those are, basically it's Um, It's a color chart, um, but, you know, done to a very, very high quality so that the colors are an absolute known quantity and Mm. the saturation of those colors are an absolute known quantity. So if you put that in the space that you're filming in um, or taking a photo in, Mm. um, and you take a photo of that, you can adjust your colors um, and your exposure to uh, a standard. And that can then be consistent across across the board, and so I've always done that manually. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know you just you pick your your reds, your cyans, your magentas, and whatnot, and you just adjust until they're in the right position. Mm. No problem. Takes time. <laughs> yeah, takes time. Um, you have on kind of the flip side of that, you've got the white balance card as well, which again is all all good, but in Da Vinci you have an inbuilt um, color checker sort of would automate that for you. You oh, just right. get a little template kind of overlay. You place it on the the color chips, right? And you hit go. All oh, right. And it just instantly changes all the colors to right um, where it should be. Changes the white balance. Mm. All done. Fine. I've I've used this, something called Cinema Grade in the past to do that as well. Yeah. Anyway, I've never been able to get it to work in DaVinci. Never. Not once. Mm. It always come out like neon red or neon orange <laughs> i've never been able to do it and i just stumbled upon doing it right yeah a complete user error of course it's user error it's always yeah. user error was that were you doing that in the car yes it was yeah, yeah. yeah i remember yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it turns out so you get the option to put in what your color gamut is what your um uh you know i could go into all that well I won't anyway you put what you filmed it in in mm. and what you want to get out of it mm. rec 7 and 9 for example And then there's this color temperature there as well. I've kind of always assumed, and this is my fault for not looking it up properly. Mm -hmm. I've always assumed that you needed to put that color temperature to what you to what you shot it in. Yeah, kind of makes sense to do that. Nope, don't need to do that. Mm. Just ignore that. Yeah, that's the color temperature you want it to end at. Yeah. So if you're, and that's 6500 in DaVinci for that as default. So if you leave it at 65. It should set it all to being in a white balance of what 6,500 Kelvin would look like. Yeah. If you change that to 5,500, it'll look like 5,500 yeah. and so on and so on. Just leave it alone and just hit go yeah. and it's done. The difference it made was insane. Yeah. It took something that it took a few minutes to get it right, to adjust the colors, adjust the saturation, adjust yeah. the white balance to now instant. Now, that's not to say you're going to leave it like that because you, you won't um you 're going to go and grade on top of that and correct other things that need correcting, but it gives all of your shots then that correct base to get yeah. going with yeah. and did you <clears> notice <throat> the huge i showed you didn 't I quickly the huge swing in um i think it was in the blues mm. or it was the blue the blues almost looked red or yeah. I forget exactly what it was now it was a massive swing and as soon as you did that and you actually used the color checker properly, mm. it just looked natural. Yeah. all of a sudden yeah. completely natural as it should and that's what you want your base to start from yeah. no problems and away you go there you go don't use the color temperature part of the um the color checker auto color checker being in davinci in da resolve
0: <laughs> for all of you davinci davinci users
1: not that any of you have been touching it only me because i'm an idiot <laughs> that's it
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, color temperature is always a uh, um that's you know, always an issue, obviously. And you know, generally speaking, of course, you know, you would.
1: Um, I've actually always found it one of the hardest things to do, right? Yeah. to get your white balance absolutely spot on.
0: Well, the thing is, like when you're, you know, especially when you're blending um, an ambient shot with um, a flash shot, for example, mm-hmm. you know, you've got two completely different color temperatures happening. You know, one is yeah. basically dictated by the by the ambient light, and then um, and then a flash shot is essentially you've got you know your your flash light color coming into the whole thing which is you know typically i mean it's going it to be around 5500 5000 to 5500 somewhere around about that and what i found actually is um to make the to streamline the process and to make it fast and efficient because that's that's something i mean you could you could break out the the color chart and you know photograph that with the ambient chart and then do another one with a flash and blah blah and all the rest of it you could do that, but it takes absolutely forever and mm. in the situation that we were in for example, we just didn't we had to basically rush through everything, not that we rushed through everything it was more like there was a lot to do, and we had a day to do it yeah and um it was amazing how you know how little you get done in a day in a way, yeah, nothing you know it's, it, so <laughs> yeah it's so you know it that was it uh, was incredible so basically, you had to really you know there were a lot of um a lot of locations to shoot, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of different offices and um, different setups to to shoot, and um, and so things had to be streamlined. And so what I found in the end was actually if I just relied on the um, auto white balance in the camera, and then just adjusted it in post so that the the flash shot and the ambient shot blend well, that was that by far the fastest way of getting a good result. That absolutely worked every time.
1: See, it's interesting how <clears throat> how that can auto come help absolutely, when, it, when yeah. it needs to help. Yeah, right? absolutely. I had, I had a slight problem with that. Um, I act very, very first shot we did first room that we dealt with mm. in that on that first day. Bit rushed. We're setting up the room. That room took a lot of setting up as well and dressing and getting oh, okay. it right. And yeah. I just, I basically forgot to set a custom white balance uh, in that room mm. and so it was left on auto yeah. from whatever it was on before because i'm just an idiot yeah. and if it was just static actually it would have been fine mm. but because it's video oh, because movement, it's being, yeah, there's movement there's the window light there were the lamp lights going on as yeah. well yeah. you you i just sit there and watch it change yeah I mean, what an idiotic thing to do. So silly. And it's just there and it's going, oh, it's warmer, it's cooler, it's cooler, it's warmer, 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 cooler, 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 cooler. cooler." Thankfully, it was all done in slow-mo. And actually, I'm going to need a little bit of that. And the short section I'm going to need, it won't change. So I can just set it to that. That's fine. Had it been a faster moving shot or something that was in real time, uh, I could have run into some problems there. I got lucky.
0: When the, Got lucky. From a photographic point of view, you know, um, one of the advantages of shooting office spaces is, is that you always, you practically always have something that's white in in the frame somewhere. Mm. Like you have either white walls, which we had a lot of, um, or you have pieces of paper on a desk or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so that always good in a pinch. In post gives you a good starting point. And what I found was that depending on what location we were, we're in, once I decided on the the you know the overall. Um, Color temperature for that particular room, for example, literally all of my ambient shots for that room would actually work pretty much on the mm-hmm. same white balance, and so so that took literally like five seconds to figure out, and then you know and then and then you you have a number of different um, options later on if you want to warm things up, uh, especially once you're done with the you know with the with the blending in Photoshop and you bring it back into back into Lightroom to do some final you know adjustments in there. Um, you can still you have still room to maneuver basically mm. after that. Mm. So and um, you know and it's it's tricky to balance white walls off against against everything else that's in the room or white ceilings. You know we had one particular room uh, where we had a lot of like Victorian wood paneling mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with white lit domed ceilings. Um, that was that was probably the hardest. Thing to balance because, um you know, the the relatively dark orangey kind of wood panel, uh, paneling that was that was in there it was uh,
1: casting all sorts of color, wasn't it? Well, that's one yeah. thing, but it was
0: against the super bright white yeah. part of the ceiling. It's just from a dynamic range point of view, it's very difficult to combine that. Yeah. So in these shots, you got to be really careful. Um Either you're going to have to go in um, and use filters, you know, to to bring down the exposure on the ceiling a little bit. Um, you know, or you crop cleverly so that you don't see too much of the ceiling. That's the other mm-hmm. thing right, around that. It's, it's just very
1: difficult to um, to get that to balance right. Do you always provide those shots in standard crop, like 8 by 10 for argument's sake? No. Or, or no, they're all basically... Yeah, they're, they're cus- custom. The custom crop, yeah. And that's got to do with... Um,
0: so that actually has to do with um, some perspective correction that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, with architectural shots, um, generally you need to essentially compensate for the curvature of the
1: lens. So I'm sure you're going to say curvature of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, yeah, that sucks. Um, what are you saying? The Earth is flat. Oh, of course. Anyway. Silly me. Silly curvature? What curvature of the Earth? What's off the end of it? Milk. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Underneath there are a bunch of elephants, I've heard. Mil- it's milk. I'm telling you it, milk. That's what's at the end of the universe. Isn't
0: there a big wall of... There's an ice wall, isn't there? That's like when you get to the end of yeah. the ocean, there's a big wall of ice seen it in, in Game of Thrones, I believe. Yeah. And then... Uh, there you go. You know, so it wasn't tellies, so it must be true. <sighs> anyway, so... Um, what was I saying? Um,
1: what were we talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, overexposed, kind of overexposed white ceilings. Using filters if you need to yeah. crop. There we oh, go. On, yeah.
0: <laughs> custom crop. Custom crop. It's like, um, yeah, custom crop. Well, I mean, so you, yeah, so you're gonna have to compensate for uh the the
1: the curvature of straight of the F. of the earth.
0: Yeah, and so Shall I send
1: you down that rabbit hole again.
0: <laughs> Basically, <laughs> in a nutshell, what happens is so straight lines very often don't appear very straight especially if you're using wide or super wide lenses which especially when you're shooting interiors you very often have to do Mm -hmm. so um you know so i was using for a lot of actually for 90 percent of it probably i was using a 14 to 24 millimeter um 2.8 lens which is a beautiful lens love it Uh, but you're very often at the 14 mil end of it so like you know between 14 and 18 maybe. something. Mm. Like. Your lens
1: with the big dome
0: on the end. Yes. And it's a beautiful lens, um, but there is some curvature happening there. And of course, um, it's in no way anywhere near what you would consider fisheye. It really isn't. But, um, you know, what happens is in post, you're going to have to rectify that and you're going to have to compensate. So, mm-hmm. um, Do you do that auto or do you manually? Um, usually manually. Mm-hmm. So auto... That there are basically three. Well, actually, four different options you could, in theory, use in Lightroom. For example, yep. um, you could either use auto, you could use full, um, or you could use verticals. The mm-hmm. so verticals, <clears throat> or you could do manual. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, the most important lines to fix in an architectural shot like that are your verticals. Yep. Um, verticals are absolutely crucial. And what you'll find um, when you do that, you get very often get like really weirdly slanted ceilings and stuff like that. Mm. Um, Sometimes that's perfectly cool. Sometimes um, you need to uh, correct your horizontals as well, which is where the, the auto or the full functions come in. Um, to be honest, it's actually quicker and easier to do that manually, mm-hmm. uh, where you actually set your horizontals and your, and your verticals. Um, and uh, yeah, and it works, it works really well. Um, and then you know by default you sometimes have to crop because you end up with sure. a, a sort of distortion that leaves you know bits of the image on the top of the bottom white so you're gonna yep. have to crop it anyway but um, you know what I tend to do with any of these uh, kind of shots is I tend to shoot wider than I than I need to anyway uh, because I know I'm gonna have to compensate for that so um, a lot of the time that's uh, you know that's that's on purpose and that brings you back to um, your overall, you know, image size and pixels and whatever. Um, when you shoot architectural photography, especially interiors, you know, if you're shooting, let's say for argument's sake, if you're shooting with a 24 megapixel sensor, your images, because they will have to be cropped to some extent, will never end up being 24 megapixels. You know, so because there's always some croppage that will have to happen and you just have to take that into consideration. So are, you know, higher megapixel sensors useful in this in this respect yeah absolutely yeah for sure you know um, are they necessary no, no. <laughs> not. i mean okay not unless your stuff goes onto a billboard or um you know anything like that um if it's entirely for online use or even like brochure print or something like that I, you don't really have anything to worry about with that
1: I, I can think of very few scenarios where it's it would be that crucial for the megapixel count to be high for it. it's when
0: you should really widen you have to crop in quite a lot yeah i mean you can you know that would be cool um i think uh, i mean you know in the vast majority of i mean okay well if you you know if you have a 50 megapixel 60 megapixel or even 100 megapixel sensor um then awesome why not you know mm. um but it's not it's not necessary so i think if you're thinking about getting into property photography for example or real estate photography as it is uh, called in the States um, and, and you you think you only have a 24 megapixel camera don't worry about it absolutely totally mm-hmm. doable no problemo at all so you know uh, it's actually more about the right sort of lens and the right focal length yeah actually for those sort of things um, especially when inside of a room all of a sudden the difference between 24 and 14 millimeters is the difference between it's like the difference between day and night yeah, you know literally. that's right. Um, <laughs> you know, whilst in just about any other situation, you know, my like about twenty-four to seventy workhorse will work absolutely fine. for just about just about every and anything that I shoot, with the exception of some type of portraits, right. but um, for interiors, that lens is just most of the time it's not wide enough. Yeah, yeah, and we, no. um,
1: there we're in the UK. Rooms are small over here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you great. need a one millimeter lens to do most of our rooms. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: you know. Um but anyway, so that's you know, that was um that was a thing. There you know, we talked about the flambient um technique. Um again, if there's something you wanna um you wanna know more about, then let us know. Um but yeah. What else is new this week? Oh very shy. Oh. That's hey. what's new this week. Oh, that's well. not new at all, is it? No, it's not. No. <laughs>
1: um yeah, what is news for me? I have been I've been working a lot. Hmm. I've
0: been really busy. I've been busy as hell. But do you remember last week we were talking about um, the fact that you said you're really, really super busy, like busier than you've ever been. And now would be the time for you to actually, you know, where well, you have a need to work out, but you actually don't get around to it because you're too busy or you have no yes. motivation. Yes, yeah. right. So I, I was going to go for a run today. Well, I did.
1: But I don't believe
0: you. I have the proof on my watch. Gone then. Gone. Let's see it. Uh you just put it on your dog, didn't you? Oh, it's actually on my phone.
1: Oh, 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 how convenient. <laughs> yeah, how convenient.
0: No, because it says it on the phone. Hang on. So um I went on a run. I did what I set out to do when I first bought this um this Apple Watch. Right. Done then. Once. <laughs> Finished and uh and so 3.98k yeah so it was an easy run 20 minute easy run Mm -hmm. it was really easy uh at a really easy pace but it was the first time i've gone for a run in oh man since i guess oh well actually i would say generally a proper run since before the pandemic Mm -hmm. I've, i've done a few like couch to 5k things with my wife you know which i don't know but
1: really this was um this is a very where you've been running for thirty seconds. Oh, you need to walk for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this one was not wasn't... locking that, by the way. Just no, absolutely, a laugh. totally,
0: it's super cool. But this was like a you know twenty minute run, light pace. Um, but I used the um, Nike Run Club app for that. Yeah, yes, yeah, I use like a guided run.
1: Oh, you tried the guided one. I tried it. Yeah. yeah, and actually, I tell you what, um, it worked really well. I tried that for the first couple of runs I ever 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 did. But yeah, yeah. pretty much ever. Yeah, did. yeah, just. And, to... I struggled with it a little bit.
0: Well, i tell you where it came he annoyed in.
1: annoyed
0: me. Well, yeah, I can see that. But where it came in really, really, really useful was, you know, I went, basically, I used to run a lot. And so in my mind, it was like, right, okay, you know, I warm up, blah, blah. And then I sort of, kind of thought, you know, I'm going to get straight into this sort of pace that I'm used to or that I used to be used to, to say. But of course, I haven't been doing anything for a good, like, what, year you know, a two years or something like that, really. And so, um, you know, I just I have to slow myself down quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. And what that did, that is, well, that's exactly what that did. So you know, the voice in my headphones kept telling me to slow down, take it easy, you know, blah blah. And actually, that kept reminding me to to actually slow my pace down and watch yeah. my breathing and stuff like that. And and it worked really well because I kind of at first I thought like. Oh, I don't even know what I can actually run for twenty minutes. No, maybe that's, you
1: know, that's it's hard after that long now yeah, or ever. Exactly, <laughs> and
0: I thought you know, I thought like, well, maybe I should do you know like a um, something not too dissimilar to like you know a, a couch to five k type of program, you know, where you increase the amounts of running versus the mm-hmm. the uh, walking intervals, you know, over a number of weeks, <laughs> and so that was that was the other option. But I kind of thought, you know what. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in with an easy run. This is specifically designed for people who want to get back into running, you know, um, and it's, it's literally, you just you focus on your pace and you literally just take it easy. And, and I have to say, again, it worked really well. And you know, the interesting thing was, um, I went through a bit of a pain barrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could really feel how, like my body wasn't used to that amount of stress, it's an interesting feeling, isn't it? Once yeah. Get for it. And I had, um, you know, I had some pain in, I had some knee pain a few weeks ago. And actually, um, what I've learned since then is that's actually a post-COVID syndrome type of thing. All oh, right. Yeah, it's called something. Um,
1: it's called nothing to do with your age.
0: No, it's it's <laughs> called um, it's a type of arthritis. It's basically a virus-inflicted type of arthritis. Pardon mm-hmm. <coughs> me. And um, there's one of these sort of post-COVID symptoms. Um, that uh that occur sometime after you've had the infection
1: all right well inter- <laughs> interestingly that's why i kind of took a break from running so starting to get into it, it was going well yeah. you know i was starting to reach kind of um and this is going from never running before mm-hmm. um just after a few weeks to um i started doing 5ks then every other day yeah and i was started reaching like six minutes 50 per K on average. Okay. Which is, I, I don't think, I, I think, I don't think I'd ever get past that. Okay. It's just, I'm just not built for that. Um, yeah. and, but i to stop, I stopped because of my knee. Yeah. It was just, it was done. It was just kept, kept having issues with it. And I took a week break, started going again and started feeling it halfway through. I, thought, I need to take it easy. Yeah. I'm not going to push it. And then I took a two week break, still felt a little bit, then before you know it you don't go back. Yeah. So you take more than a two week break, you're you, you aren't starting again. So just just
0: that gives you an example from like this twenty sixteen, when I used to run quite a lot. And so my average pace was five thirty six um, on a five K mm-hmm. type of run. Um my pace yesterday was six forty seven. So considerably slower than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, for me, that actually felt it felt perfect because it literally felt like, you know, everything was moving comfortable. And now
1: you've got to decide whether you go for the, run the same distance each time yeah, and see how, get that time down or probably the better option is to run for the same amount of time to see how far you go. Yeah. I mean, so you keep getting that continued exercise rather than suddenly doing a 20 minute run to now doing a 15 minute run. I think the next, the next run on this particular program, which is I I think think where I made a mistake. It's like 22 minutes. So it's like,
0: that's two minutes to it. I think for now, the, uh, again, so from a mindset point of view, what was really interesting was that it takes all that pressure away, you know, to start with, where you kind of think, okay, should I go for pace or should I go for time, or, you know, whatever, or for distance? And it basically just went, just enjoy running. Just enjoy it, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? And don't think about any of these things. I'll be back in a minute. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <God>. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it, you know, it worked. Like I said, it worked really well. I was, uh, actually... I came back to the car and I was, you know, I was wrecked, basically.
1: Car? Yeah, I drove down to the uh, aqua. I, I love the fact that you drove before running. That's great. Yeah, I drove to the Aquadrop. That's excellent. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's, you know, that's what I did. Um, And uh, because, it's, you know, we have some lakes. There's an area of lakes um, nearby where I live. And I could, in theory, walk there. But it was cold and windy. And I kind of thought, right, I'm just going to drive down there. And then I'm right by the lakes and I start running around the lakes. And, you know, that's what I did. Plus, I also didn't know how I was going to feel after the run, whether I had to basically, you know, pick myself up off the floor or not, mm.
1: so I got to tell you, know, be okay. thrown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So
0: like, if I got the car there, then
1: yeah. I mean, I'll t- tell you what. That very first run I ever did, yeah. I was close to throwing up. Yeah. But it only took nut- one more run before that. The wall gone. Yeah, doesn't take long. No, doesn't I mean, take long. Yeah, you you sort of adjust, and that's going from oh, total cold start, never never having really run before. Yeah, so you adapt relatively relatively quickly. Mm.
0: You know. Um, I miss it badly. Yeah, it's um, it's something you know. I'm, I'm putting a little routine together. I mean, the other thing that w- was really a new experience for me because I'm a summer runner, right? I hate running in the winter, mm. and uh, and I really have very little experience with um, running in cold temperatures because traditionally what I used to do was that you you know I'd run I start <clears> running in the spring, throughout the summer, maybe into the fall, and then I would switch to the gym. Oh right. right, yeah. And, um, and then in general, I do other things because I really dislike running on a treadmill, you know. Um, and so, so yeah, so the whole aspect of layering, <laughs> you know,
1: I really had no idea. So I actually brought lots more layers John, than I needed. It doesn't matter what temperature it is out there. T-shirt and a thin, um, I've got like a, oh, I don't know, like a green, very thin jacket, mm-hmm. you No know, running type jacket windbreak or whatever you'd, no. you'd call it that's more than enough no. pair of gloves done
0: yeah the gloves thing that's something i've learned critical
1: that's something i've
0: learned um that's definitely it's going to be an addition when yeah. I go for a run tomorrow or something um yeah the, the glove thing i didn't see that coming but i was freezing
1: hat yeah i had a hat you know music no music headphones on big old headphones big old of course you <laughs> such a hipster hey it keeps your ears warm what can i say <laughs> yeah yeah fair <laughs> yeah. enough yeah yeah. yeah, shorts or joggers? <laughs> Jog, joggers, man. I can't do it. Really? I, I have some. I bought. I bought some. Put them on when it was cold out, and within half a k, I was I was boiling alive. Oh, really? No, I. That's
0: yeah. I can't do shorts. Must
1: it's, get yourself a pair short. of tights. You know, ah, oh, the no. running tights. <laughs> well, I think my joggers. We, are we know someone me. who wears those. Oh, really? He does. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, you can you can mention that when you see him next. Oh, really? Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, I was under strict instructions to avoid those, like the plague. Really? So, yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that
0: would never fly in my house.
1: <laughs> oh, right. I see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'd
0: I'll be, I'll be ridiculed to the end of yeah. my days, man.
1: Maybe. That's maybe, no way. Maybe, you, maybe you could. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you've got a little tiny little pair of denim shorts somewhere.
0: Oh, I, I you know, yeah, wear them. I, hey, I'm Mr. Denim. I mean,
1: I've, mm. you know, that's, uh you know, that could be, yeah, the
0: summer movie, Denim shorts? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Do it. Yeah. Do
1: it. You know, so short that you can see the pockets properly, you know, all the way through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Good look.
0: Yeah, probably like 70s style.
1: Good look. Yeah. Do yeah. It. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so, that was um, that was good though. I enjoyed it. And then you, you go to your wife. It's either this. <laughs> or running tight. Or spandex. <laughs> spandex all the way, my friends. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway,
0: it was kind of funny, isn't it? Like everybody else in my household wears wears tights, you know. Yeah. Like literally living in a house with three girls is, you know. And I'm not. You know, even my wife this morning she got dressed for work and she goes, to "Go, my wardrobe's going a little Robin Hood," and she was like wearing like green tights, and I'm like, "I'd be your fryer tuck."
1: Oh god. <laughs> oh, that's sickening. <laughs> I know. But
0: hey, you know.
1: Oh well. <laughs> You're gonna be all bald, are you? And... Oh, I, I go religious all yeah. the way. Sure, oh. yeah. I oh. shaved the top of my head, and on that <laughs> terrible disappointment, let's move on. Oh, okay. Oh, oh man! Wow. Yeah. Well, you
0: know, <sighs> there you go. Um, I, you know, I came across I came across a number of uh, <laughs> of interesting things this week. So apparently, right, Meta was it Meta, oh, Meta, what? Facebook, basically, F- uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So, Meta, apparently, is threatening to shut down Facebook and Instagram in Europe. Go for it. Dun, dun, dun. Go for it. So, basically, there's an issue because...
1: Will we not allow them to have enough data? Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, that's, basically what that's basically what it is. Ooh. So, uh, Facebook's
0: arguing that you know it must be allowed to um, process data from the European users... On their US based servers. And mm-hmm. the EU thinks differently, basically. And this uh, it's all about data <clears throat> transfer. That doesn't include
1: us. Yeah. And so, so does it? I don't know. actually we're not part of the EU though. No, but we'll we'll follow suit with stuff like that, I'd have thought.
0: I don't know. Um but anyway, so so uh Facebook stroke meta. Is it meta? Yeah, yeah, it is that, yeah. But So uh, what were they thinking? Anyway, so they're basically now putting pressure on, basically saying, "Oh, we're gonna have to pull the plug on Facebook and Instagram." They'll never do that. Can you imagine a world without Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, I can. It's amazing. (laughs) 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 You know. By the way, if you are not following us on Facebook and Instagram, especially on Instagram, then uh, make sure you hit us up, Camera Shake Podcast. (laughs) There you go. Um, That being said, actually, just we're gonna announce this um, in future weeks, but we are thinking of changing our Facebook page to a Facebook group for a variety of reasons. Um we're gonna be announcing that very shortly. And um hopefully if you are on the meta Facebook platform, um you know join us in the Facebook group because it's just a practical thing for discussions and stuff like that. So, you know, that could be cool. But we'll let you know once that's happened.
1: Um meta. I know. Tusk put learn pull out. They'll meta. never do it. But they won't no of course not. They won't because everybody go to TikTok. <laughs> there, there, there'll be a million things open up within a day. Facepalm. You know, and they do that. They'll never get, well, no, they probably would get their custom, get us back. But anyway. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So, so that's one thing. But the funniest thing I've seen this week was a parrot stealing a GoPro in New Zealand. Did you see that video?
1: No. Oh, uh, my God. I, I, I haven't been on social in weeks. Well, this is, is something that's actually sort of, it's, it's, it was in the news. Um, so basically this family... I the news as well, because it's full of two things right now. COVID still, or uh, naughty Man United players. Or oh, naughty Boris. I mean, that's, that's basically uh, what yeah. it's. Yeah.
0: Naughty politicians or naughty footballers. Mm. That's the other thing. But um, anyway, so this parent, so this family in New Zealand is, is out on holiday um, in this national park mm-hmm. called uh, Fjordland National Park. And, uh, and so they're setting up this, this GoPro to film themselves. And in the meanwhile, a parrot comes along and nicks the camera whilst it is recording, grabs it, flies away, flies across some countryside and some trees and whatever, and then lands and then decides to pick the whole thing apart and start, starts <laughs> munching it. Okay? Right. And the angle, I mean, this is amazing, actually, because as the parrot... Grabs the GoPro and and takes off and then starts flying. It's the perfect camera angle mm-hmm. where you see the Paris underbelly and you see the countryside underneath, and it's just it's just a beautiful flight video. And it's just super funny when you watch the parrot then go at the uh, at the GoPro, <laughs> and then eventually you can see him actually. He manages he to pick up or to to pick off some of the some of the outer housing of the camera, mm-hmm. right? But to tip it off. Then the the son of the family then finds the camera. How? Well, because they were they were following the the bird, and then by sheer luck, basically he finds the camera, and you can see him coming in the frame at the end you know, as he finds the camera. It's just it's really it's a super cute video. It's just so funny to see the parrot because you can see the parrot like checking out the camera at the beginning, and then he sort of hops, hobbles closer, and then grabs it and it flies it. off. So uh, yeah, great thing. You know, well, it's an action it. camera. I know. Yeah. Like, mm. That's a super action. <laughs> that's a perfect bird's view, mm. a bird's eye view. So, yeah. not bad. Hilarious.
1: Like very good. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I mean, I thought that was a
1: very, very hilariously funny, funny story. I've seen a couple of cat videos lately. That's
0: it. <laughs> you still on a cat video? That's
1: time. it. That's all I got. Um, YouTube 1994. Wait, was it around then?
0: YouTube wasn't around in 1994,
1: sure. 2004
0: then. Hey, here's a question.
1: Okay, so somebody asked me
0: this. I had a meeting with somebody the other day. And um, so somebody asked me, they were thinking about um, producing videos for their business and everything. Uh, But for some reason, they had it in their mind that they might want to uh, place those videos on Vimeo rather than on YouTube. Why? Exactly. That's exactly my question. So I I thought, I'm going to ask you that. Why, what would be a reason to
1: favor vimeo over youtube you can password protect them right? and only people with a password can view them even if you got the link mm-hmm. whereas youtube you can't do that you have an unlisted video or no. private video but if you've got the link but if you wanted a video to
0: like sit on your website for example and if you wanted to reach an audience with it and you wanted to, you didn't want to kind of keep it behind some kind of wall or something th- then what I, don't would be? I
1: don't know if they have other upload options different formats that you can upload in i don't see why that would be relevant mm. um i don't have an answer to that i don't look at vimeo because the last time i did look at it i just thought well this is pointless
0: well the, i tell you what the last time i looked at vimeo there must be a reason yeah i mean the last time i looked at vimeo i i saw either like videos by filmmakers and i came across some peter mckinnon videos really yeah 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 that's like before before his sort of youtube career when he was making video you know when he was still a magician sort of thing oh right yeah yeah Yeah. so that's basically um that's that's all i came across i
1: don't know i'll have to look into that again i've not Mm. looked at vimeo in so long i don't know if it streams better to your site or anything i don't know no idea if,
0: there's got to be a reason. Yeah, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, and you have any experience with Vimeo, then uh, please let us know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or not necessarily experience, but if you have any thoughts on Vimeo, then um, let us know. Or if you, in fact, work for Vimeo <laughs> as you're watching this, please enlighten us uh, because we actually really want to know. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, Sam. So, oh, uh, there's some. There's a. Okay. There's something new coming out uh, in the next few weeks because the Microauthors Brigade has. <laughs> Um, you know, has uh has announced a couple of new cameras, but Micro Four Thirds have basically been Panasonic and uh, Om Digital, yes, formerly known as Olympus. Yeah. So, mm. I, and I still yeah. don't know whether it's Om Digital or O M Digital, but we must get the the two on at some point. It's probably O M, but I like Om. Om. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, um, Panasonic and Olympus have both announced new cameras um, within, or they will be announcing new cameras within the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, could be quite interesting. And um, one of the things that both of us share, by the way, in the case you didn't know this, is that they share the same mount. Yeah. So you can, you know, interchange lenses, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, Panasonic, I mean, obviously the difference between Panasonic and, uh, and Olympus, just, you know, for mutual All Koreans, um, has always been a Panasonic have uh, really focused on the video side of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, more with the GH5 and the GH5S, um, and now with the GH6. So the GH6 was supposed to, well, it was announced over a year, well, a year ago. Um, it was supposed to be released uh, before the end of the year, at uh, 2021, and now it's now finally coming out <laughs> on February the 22nd, apparently, although it will be announced on February the 22nd. So there's some interesting for things... For releasing another year. Uh, well. yeah. um, so, but there's some interesting specs um, that have been sort of leaked uh, with that. So for example, and again, you know, as, a, as a video mm. um, person, um, I'll, I'll give you those specs and you tell me what you think of that. So first of all, um, it's supposed to uh, be able to record in 4.2.2 10-bit um, 4K at 60 frames per second. Okay. Um, it's a 10-bit 4K at 120 frames per second. And... It's also apparently sporting a new sensor, which allows you to record 10-bit, 5.7K uh, at 60p. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: at 60 as well?
0: Yeah. Really? 10-bit, so 5.7K at 50, uh, 60. Frames okay. Per second. That's, um, that's the, those are the specs. Okay. Um, so that seems pretty decent, man. Yeah. And oh, by the way, on the on the t- on the 422 10-bit, um, you know, 4K at 60 frames per second, side of things that's without any limitations there's no recording limit
1: no no they, yeah. they've never never had that yeah. which is good so i think
0: they just put that in there just to have a little digger cannon, canon just to remind them yeah yeah but um but anyway so that's you know that seems seems like a decent decent camera yeah um, yeah i mean you've you know you've switched from a from a gh5s which had a um micro 4 sensor yeah to the canon system which is a full-frame
1: sensor well yeah. actually well it kind of is but the the c70 is uh... c70 is, is the uh, super 35 yes. which is you just think of it like a cropped sensor right really
0: so what's your have you what's your experience like moving from a micro 4 so to that? um my
1: my, my experience is with specifically with the gh5s um which had better perform low light performance than the gh5 anyway Mm -hmm. the GH moving to the C70 and the R6 you know yes they cost significantly more so you'd expect the performance to be better Mm -hmm. but the low light performance on those is Far, far superior than the GH5s. Right. Okay, far superior. The dynamic range—I I don't actually know the numbers of some head, but based on the performance that I recall seeing, hmm. I'm the dynamic dynamic range on both of those is great, much greater than the GH5s. That may be factually incorrect because I don't know the numbers, but just from results, right? It's just so much better. Um, the, however when you got the light right and you weren't pushing it too hard at the low end actually the picture was great yeah the picture was great the colors were really nice we certainly got some really good results from yeah, that yeah yeah um the, the C70 i ch- you you would choose that picture all day long over over mm. the GH5s you just you just would mm. um is that, the real is that because of the the sort of canon color rendering or partly uh, it's just it's a difference. It's a difference between that being a cinema camera and shooting on something that's not a cinema camera. Right. It just has. It's not just the colours. There's more. There's more to it than that. Hmm. And it's very difficult to describe what I mean. Um, it. It has a very different, very very different look to it yeah. than a. Let's just say a similar specs. So this is it's going to be interesting to see what the um, uh, R5 what they call it, C? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? R5C? Yeah, Yeah, R5 Cinema. How that's going to pan out and what that's Mm going to look like, what technology they're going to use from the cinema line versus the technology they're using from the R5 itself. So I would, um, I would hazard a guess
0: that the, um, I I would say that it's going to be closer to the R6 um, than to the c 70 that's that's most of a gut feeling. Mm. Because I think the R five in general, because all this is is basically it's it's the same specs as the R five. Um that's that's just souped up with, you know, a um you know a ventilation system basically. Um and, and you know different menu options and stuff like that to make it to make it more cinema-like, basically. But I I would think that as far as you know, the engine behind the color rendering and the you know the sensor and everything else. I think that would probably be closer to the mm. closer to the R six, uh, than because the C seven is a completely different sensor. That's, yeah, you know, that's and totally it's different. it's
1: just I mean it's go- gorgeous. Yeah. I mean I I love that thing. I absolutely love it. The more and more I use it, yeah, the more I love it. I you mean know. the R six the R six is interesting <laughs> video, mm. and I've not really had my hands on an R five to play around with the video to no. see what, how it actually performs, but the R five video is great in the right conditions and when you you know when you use, use it right and i know that sounds well of course but you're not always in the right conditions mm. but when you, when it goes outside of its comfort zone it it's it it doesn't perform all that great it's okay right. mm. and that might be partly that i've been spoiled with the c70 yeah but it, you know if, if that's what you're looking to match i i can never you know you put those pictures side by side in the same lighting conditions where it's, you know, good light, you know, decent mm-hmm. light, it's low light, but decent. And you put the pictures side by side, you'd think that the R6, you know, you'd think you'd have one shot in on the C70 and another shot on a potato. Mm. That's, the, <laughs> right. that's the difference when you see them side yeah. by side. That being said, if you just saw the R6 footage on its own in that situation, mm. yeah, yeah, it looks great. Well, we match,
0: we match these cameras a lot. Because mm. literally, I think virtually almost everything that we shoot is a combination between both of those cameras.
1: Yeah, yeah. and yeah.
0: probably, probably in the past more so because um, because I recently changed gimbal, but the old Ronin S. Um, didn't really work very well with the c70 so either it didn't work at all yeah. you couldn't yeah yeah so as a pain. as a consequence whenever we did any gimbal shots or something they were really always done in yeah. the r6 um and then for anything else you'd use the c70 that i take it is probably going to change in the future because now you're set up with a gimbal that, that fits the seventy. I,
1: I will all, yeah now now the c70 fits on a gimbal mm. that i've got i mean it yeah. The the gimbal shots that have come out of that shoot we did last week or or week whenever it was now, um, I haven't used it since. Um, But those shots, they're outstanding. I mean, the they're great shots. And had I done them on the R6, Mm.
0: what I've always found is that when I've seen the end results, um, I've always thought that the that that you managed to. Um, match both of these cameras extraordinarily well. Because I could it's I was always really, thinking it's really hard sometimes. It, uh, yeah, I bet it is. But the end result's actually always been really good. And mm-hmm. when I've watched the you know the final the final edit, I always try to think like okay, which one of this is the R six well? and yeah. what was what. And, and you know the gimbal always gives it away basically. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um you know but uh but yeah so so that's um that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it is. And that actually now and what um the R six now has um it's got C log. It's it's always had C log on M, mm-hmm. and then you, you, the Canon's got oh, the C 70 has got C log, C log two, and C log three in there. They've got different mm. curves and different yeah. ways that the dynamic range works in different ISOs. Um, that's the R six has always had C log, which is fine. Now it's got C log three as well. I just need it to introduce C log two, which mm-hmm. it may not be uh, technically be able to do, which is why it's not in there yet. Um, but I have introduced uh, these. Um, uh, the cinema gamut in there as the color, right. which the C70 has, mm-hmm. that's going to help. Um, now I use the C70 on um, production camera mode mm. rather than neutral mode or anything like that. But I may, if I on jobs where I know I'm using both, I'm going to set them both to neutral, right? So they're both on the same. And yes, one's in C log two and one's in C log one or C log three. Mm. Okay, that's one thing. But at least the, the color the color science behind it is going to be the same mm. rather than slightly different, but that's mm. cool. Otherwise I use the production camera. Right. Um They do. They all look just slightly different. Mm. Cool. There well, you go. so there you go. Fun times.
0: So coming back to the micro four Third brigade, um, again, you know, Panasonic GH six, um, <clears throat> ready to be announced on February the 22nd. Um, but. Oh, um, 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 digital, formerly known as the, <laughs> the company formerly known as Olympus. Um, are also about to announce a new camera. Apparently, February 15th um, is going to launch the whole thing with a live online event. But here's the thing. We know nothing about this camera whatsoever. The one thing that seems to be certain is that they are launching a completely new camera body. That is all we know. Okay. So, So, February the 15th, a live online event. Um, on you know on the, all of the uh, known Olympus channels so check them out on Facebook for example and um, on YouTube I'm pretty sure and their website of course um I'm pretty sure you find it there if if you are an Olympus shooter um that should be really interesting. I know I actually know quite a few people who shoot Olympus really yeah in the, in the camera club world yeah absolutely hmm. um and you know they're cool they're really quite you know sort of um vintage looking almost you know if this kind of look they're small. They're relatively lightweight, micro four thirds. Um, the yeah. lenses are lenses yeah. are lightweight. You know, makes a big difference. Um, and uh, I know, actually, know quite a lot mm. of people who really like them a lot. Um,
1: the R six, the R six, the GH six or GH five, uh, GH five, GH six. Yeah. Is is that going to be stills as well, or are they moving that to video only? I'm, I'm guessing it's stills as well.
0: I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's stills as well. I
1: haven't read anything to the contrary, but. Yeah. Because the stills in the GH5S were shocking. Well,
0: yeah, they weren't great.
1: Shocking. Yeah. They did a job, and they would do something, yeah. and they all all right, but you, to be brutally honest, if you may as well use your phone. The,
0: the Panasonic, I mean, the GH6 is going to be a video centric camera. So yeah. if, you, if you don't shoot video, then what's the point? It will be able to shoot stills, I'm pretty sure of it. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, if you are in the micro four-third environment you'd be better, you're probably better off getting something like an Olympus. Yeah. You no. know, if you're, yeah. if that's your thing, because again, it's the same mount. You can interchange lenses.
1: Mm-hmm. That's practical. Um, but you know, I tell you, well, that's one thing that's worth saying about the Panasonic lenses. The Panasonic lenses are great. Yeah. They're, they're really, really, cool. really good. Yeah. They're very cool. I, I love those lenses. That I had for And that. they're
0: really cute and tiny.
1: Yeah, they are. So yeah. Nice. That's the
0: thing. Like when you were shooting the GH5, um, I was always a little bit jealous of the fact that you had like a whole bunch of lenses in your case and like they, they went, like they weigh nothing. And as me dragging my 70 to 200, <laughs> you know, 24 to 70 is like breaking my back. Um, Yeah. The, the, ah, you know, yeah. that was, uh, yeah, that was the thing. But, um, but so interesting news anyway, in that segment, if that's, you know, if that's the, the thing that floats yeah. your boat, um, then, you know, you can look forward to some, some awesome announcements yeah yeah coming up in the next few weeks cool so that should be good 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 um yeah the only other thing i want to talk about actually is something i, I read um again you know a couple of days ago that really actually sort of touched me personally so um there's something called i hope you reported him <laughs> <laughs> there's something called photoreminiscence therapy or um, or prt and um, there's been a number of studies that have um that have basically found that that uh, photo reminiscence therapy can help dementia patients. That right, um, and it, it really helps, uh, by overall improving the quality of life and the cognitive performance. And what that really is is basically is that you um, you help patients by showing them photographs, uh, maybe old family photographs or holiday photographs or something like that, and you jog their memories and you basically use photographs to get them involved and you know. And remember those mm. um, those activities and those times and whatever else, and that overall uh, has has been found to have a really positive impact on uh, dementia um, patients. And the reason why that's touched me quite a lot is because my my, my own dad actually passed away from dementia, mm. and uh, and so you know that's a really um, that's a that's a really interesting little bit of news I read there. Um, it's known. Like music, for instance, for instance, is is has been known to have the same
1: effect. Well, I've, I've heard about, see, I've heard that before, yeah. and I just kind of assumed, I've, wrongly, obviously, um, I kind of assumed that people would do that anyway.
0: I think they would, but this study—they've actually done a proper yeah, study and got some some actual result. data behind it. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, you know, it's it's really quite interesting. And I, you know, I remember my dad was a drummer, and um, I remember his ability—he lost his ability to speak radically early on. Mm but he could drum almost to the very end, huh. you know? And um, and that was, you know, that was, that was interesting. I mean, he could, <laughs> he could play all the songs that he'd been playing for like 40 years or whatever. Beatles songs, for example, mm-hmm. Stones, you know, all that kind of stuff, the Troggs and all that, you know, stuff that he'd been playing for decades. He could play them absolutely all the way through whenever what didn't really work was introducing anything new, mm. you know? But he could still like sit down and have a jam you know, and and even even at a point when, you know, of course, complicated drum fills or something wouldn't, wouldn't work or whatever. But, you know, he could hold a groove, he, and you could see he was having fun, although he couldn't really communicate it because he <laughs> hadn't really, you know, he'd lost his ability to um, to communicate verbally at mm, that point. Mm. Um, but I was like, you know, um, that was always quite...
1: I always found that really fascinating. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's funny, how the things that they 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 can retain or and things that they don't retain you baffle you baffles you, as oh, to, you know yeah, it's, it's, yeah I it's different for every person as well it as is absolutely yeah well. I mean that's yeah. that's one of the most
0: um, you know amazing things really is the fact that everybody's affected differently,
1: mm-hmm. depending
0: on which part of the brain is affected sort of thing mm-hmm. and um you know, but anyway, so that was a little bit of news, a little bit of positive news there, yeah, um yeah, where you know photography, see photography. Therapy, medicine. It's just a good thing. It's just, you know, if you're not into photography, you know, you should A, you should get into it and B what you're doing listening to this podcast. I mean,
1: well, there <laughs> is that.
0: It's <laughs> like, why?
1: <laughs> and if you're not currently wearing double denim, don't.
0: <laughs> well, see, on the double denim front. No. There's no front. I was proven right the other day, wasn't I? No. no oh no, no, yes. no. They were misguided <laughs> kids. <laughs> Just to give you some context, um, <sighs> Nick and me, Nick and me were, we were judging a Battle of the Bands um, audition the other day, um, which was actually excellent. Um, but actually, re- it was, to be fair. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, great. It yeah, was yeah. one band. They were awesome. Um, and they rocked, two of the members rocked Double Denim. I could, I could not see past that. They were young. <laughs> I won't hold it against them. But, I think they must have been listening to this podcast, and they probably thought like, "Oh, maybe we can score some extra points if we play to the judges'
1: preferences." Do, do you know, it's quite <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny actually because there, there was um, one of the performers hmm. were you know as soon as I I, I arrived or I was, I'd come out to go and grab some more gear or something right. like that. It was, it was super helpful and holding the door open and all of that kind of stuff came in, gave me cables and stuff, right? Just to buy a little bit of favor. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. Great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, he's going through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that band is through.
1: <laughs> double denim through. Oh, cool. Well, that on a, is. And on that double denim disappointment. Well, <laughs> on that bombshell.
0: That is it for this week's uh, Camera Tech podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, you know, let us know that you've enjoyed it. Um, again, you know, leave a comment. Um, we've had some really, uh, really, really cool comments uh, this week. Um, you can leave a comment if you're watching this on YouTube. Of course, leave a, leave a comment in the comments. Because where else would you leave a comment? You know, make sure you hit that subscribe button um, and ring the bell and all that kind of jazz. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, then you know, again, please give us a star rating. Leave a leave a little review. That would help us massively, Um, but yeah, that's it. Episode ninety-four coming at you through the ear holes and the eye holes. God, see you next week.